Al Gore's case, that amazing election where it was over a handful of votes and it went to court and it went on forever. And so she was the person who was really at the centre of that whole election thing. Now, can we see the next slide? Now, you probably haven't seen this slide either. A village in Texas is missing its idiot. Now, this was a pretty big bumper sticker before the 2004 election. And uh, if I've got to fill in the dots, I will, that George W. Bush comes from Texas. And he was no longer in Texas. And so Democrats, who were really wanting to push for people to vote for John Kerry, who was the guy that was up against him in the 2004 election, this was the bumper sticker they were really excited about. And the reason they were really excited about it was that everybody knows that George Bush is just an idiot, okay? Everybody in America knew that. It's just common wisdom, common knowledge. Everybody knows he's got, you know, an IQ that is probably less than 007 James Bond. Everybody knew that. And that was the conventional wisdom. And if any time, you know, a lot of Australians believe that too because it's just the conventional wisdom. Now, if there's one person you would expect who would really understand the truth about that, it would be Donna Brazile, who ran the election campaign for Gore against Bush. But I want to show you what she gave in an interview prior to the 2004 election when Kerry was up against Bush. This is what she said. It should be up on the screen. You won't be able to read it. It's too small, but it's a quote. It's hard to travel across the country these days without seeing an old familiar bumper sticker. Somewhere in Texas, a village is missing its idiot. Perhaps the slogan rang true for many progressive voters in this highly partisan, highly charged and highly polarised electorate. But if the bumper sticker crowd believes it refers to George W. Bush, they are sorely mistaken. Senator John Kerry can win this election by understanding that he is running against, okay, listen to this, he is running against a shrewd, clever an extremely intelligent opponent who was trained in political combat by the late GOP strategist Lee Atwater. Now, you've got the conventional wisdom that everybody believes and that the media pumped out there, and then you have the one person who really, well, not the one person, but a particular person who has no a positive towards this guy who gets up and is willing to say he is shrewd, he is clever, and he is an intelligent opponent. From my understanding, he's got an IQ in the high 120s. Okay? Now, just to be pretty straightforward with you, most people in this room would have an IQ of about 110, because that's average, I believe. A few people over there were 111, good for you. Um, but can you see what I'm getting at here? Here's the truth about a person, and here's the conventional wisdom that has been particularly pumped up by the media. And I'm not here today to be an apologist for George W. Bush or anything like that. That's not my point. My point is actually a very simple one, that people can easily believe what everybody believes, and all of a sudden it becomes a truth. And it's not true at all. And my reason for really raising this is to say that it's extremely easy for us to believe all sorts of supposed truths 
all sorts of conventional wisdom and just say, well, wow, this has got to be true and it's got to be true because everybody believes it and I read it in the newspaper or I saw it on TV. And that's kind of like the lemming truth. You know the thing about the lemmings, that old game where everybody just kind of walks off the cliff and falls off because they do it together? We have to contrast between conventional wisdom that the world kind of believes and the truth that God teaches. Because the two are rarely the same. The truth are actually the, the, uh, is quite different a lot of the time from conventional wisdom. And the reality is, for us to take hold of the truth and to live out the truth, it means that we have to do something. And that is we have to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. And all of a sudden come to the conclusion that maybe I'm not right and all of the people I hang around with aren't right, that the Bible actually teaches something far different from what everybody thinks. And humility is me saying, okay, I am going to believe what God says. And in humility, I'm going to do what God says. And that's where real achievement lies. Now, if you did an investigation, you would find so many areas in life where there is this public view, often put out there by the media or other people with a biased reason to do that, and then there is the truth. And we're told in the Bible that it is the truth from God that sets us free. So what I want to do today as we continue this certainty what do we need to be certain about? This certainty from Luke's gospel is to look through and contrast the conventional wisdom with the truth that was received by some people when they were really humble before Jesus and then their lives changed radically. And the reason we're looking at this is that we are no different from those people that Jesus encountered. He encounters us every day in different ways and he says this is the truth this is my way and we get the opportunity to humble ourselves and say I'm going to go that way or we can just be like everybody else and join the lemming brigade let's read from Luke's gospel Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. Just another day at work, huh? Let's kind of look where this all happens. I mean, some of you guys may be here for the first time. You don't know who these people are. We're, we're told about this place called Gennesaret. We're just going to put a few slides up on the screen so we can see where we're talking about here. Okay. We're just going to get that slide up in a moment. Uh, okay. See, basically what we have here is Israel. Okay. Can you see that very well? I work very hard. No, it's all right. That thing that you can't see is Israel, okay? See that really highly thing you can't see? That's Israel. You may be able to see it a bit better on the bottom one. It's a lot sharper. Wow, what a great projector we've got down there. Um, okay, can we see the next slide? Okay, so here we are. Basically, what we have is the Sea of Galilee, which is there or down there. And all of this action happens around here. That sea, for instance, that's about the size of Lake Gordon. Who's ever been to Lake Gordon? Gee, that was helpful. Um, <laughs> it's about 20K, 22K long and about 14K wide. It's a body of fresh water. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world and it's full of fish. That's why there's fishermen there. Nobody fishes in the Dead Sea right down the bottom because it's full of salt. Nothing lives in there. And so this action happens somewhere... Oh, my point is gone. Uh, anyway, you can't see it anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, this all happens around the top part of that lake, which is where Jesus' home base was. He was born in, or in Bethlehem, went up to Nazareth, and now his operations are mainly happening around this lake. And what we're actually told is that he's come to this lake. He's about 30 years old, we believe. He's the son of God, but he's truly a human being. Both God and he's both a person. He's laid down a lot of his godly abilities. And now, if we've been reading a couple of chapters before, chapter 4 and whatever, we would see that he's actually empowered by God's Holy Spirit. He is very much like what we're meant to be. Real human beings who now bear God's Spirit and are empowered by God. And the thing that stands out about Jesus... The thing that really stands out about Jesus is that he gets people before him and he speaks the word of God. Now, he's truly God, we know that, but he's living as a true human being as well. And so rather than going and saying, this is what I think, which is always my temptation and your temptation, right? He tells people what God thinks. So that's humility. That, that really is ultimate humility to say, I'm not going to make myself the center of everything. I'm going to tell you what God says. 
And look at what happens when he does tell people what God is saying. We are told that people crowded around him. Now, we've all been conned, not at this church, by the way, but we've all been conned into the conventional wisdom. If you tell people about God, they're going to get angry at you. And maybe at some point they will. But one of the things that the Bible shows us is when people do speak God's word, it intrigues people. Some of you may be here today because you are intrigued by this. You don't know what it's all about yet. You don't know who this Jesus guy really is. You don't know what we're on about. But there is something here that when you hear the word of God, it intrigues you. And the more that Jesus spoke the word of God, and as someone who understood it perfectly, people started pressing in upon him. Now, nobody's coming to faith or anything like that. There's nothing like that happening. But all of a sudden, they are hearing the word of God, and it has an impact on people. And the reason for that is simple. It's simple. We were created by God. And we were created as human beings to resonate and respond to his voice. Now, it may stir us up sometimes because we've bought so much into this worldly, conventional wisdom that it confronts us and, and makes us look at our lives and we find that uncomfortable and disturbing, but we also find it intriguing. The great Christian Saint Augustine basically said there is a, a space inside each of us that only God can fill. And when it's not filled by God and his words, we go empty. And so people are crowding into Jesus. Well, what does he do? We're told in verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, this is all very understandable. It's a lake. There are fish in it. There are people that make their living fishing. So it would be very strange not to have fishing boats, wouldn't it? If we're in the desert and Jesus gets into a fishing boat, that's strange. This is normal. So there are these fishermen, they've been working all night because they fished at night. That's kind of how you fish there, I'm not sure why. Fish work at night. So fishermen work at night. So he sees Jesus, these boats, there's these people crowding in upon him. We're not told how many, but it's obviously quite a crowd. And then the next thing we're actually told is he gets into one of the boats. Now, you're going to see Jesus doing this a fair bit. He just says to his disciples at one point, go and get a couple of um, animals for me or go and tell this guy I need a room, and it all just happens. That'd be really good if we went shopping, wouldn't it? I'll actually have that coat, but don't put it on my account. Yes, Mr. Morris, here you go. Jesus just was able to do things... And if you're wondering why he was able to do things, it's because he's got the Holy Spirit within him and people respond to that in the most extraordinary of ways. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put it out a little from the shore. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. I mean, basically the boat is like this. It gives me a little bit of distance from you. That should I say the wrong thing, I've got a head start. Okay, some of you are nodding already. That's very concerning. 
but it allows me to sort of look and see you, and you see me. That's kind of why we have a, a platform here. And so Jesus was creating a platform, a way where people couldn't press upon him anymore, and so he'd be free to get up and continue to teach the Word of God. And then he sat down. Maybe I should have a chair up here. I do. We're going to pretend this is a boat, and for all safety, I'm pretending I'm wearing a life jacket as well. Okay, we're good. So all of a sudden, Jesus is sitting down in the boat, and he's teaching people, and then he finishes teaching people. I don't know how he says, go home, your mother's calling you, I'm not sure, but it stops. And when he's finished, we're told in verse 4, he says to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, where we're told that the nets are being washed, maybe it's the other boat's nets, they're in a fishing company. There's clearly nets in this boat at some point. And so he basically says, let's go fishing. Now, the problem is this. Jesus is a carpenter. He knows about as much as fishing as I do. Last time I went fishing was 1973. It didn't go well, okay? Actually, I probably went with my son once or twice. That didn't go well either. I think last time I went fishing with my son, we ended up in a hospital, okay? He can tell you about that. It's not something that I did. Um, <laughs> it's actually true. Um, <laughs> he didn't get eaten by a shark either. Um, he's here today. Um, So he, he, he's this carpenter that just jumps into a boat that's not his, and he says, Let, let's go fishing. Now, why is he doing that? We've been told already in, earlier in the chapter that he is led by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is moving him and leading him and whatever. If you have come to the place in your Christian life where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, where you've said, I believe Jesus has died for my sins, and has risen from the dead, and, and I'm all sorted out with God, then you actually get the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is within you, prompting and encouraging you and leading you. You may go out fishing this afternoon. You could probably do it just outside of here during the week, couldn't you? Um, but see, this is what's going on. Jesus is being led to do things, and people are responding. But the real heart of this message is how Peter responds. Simon, he becomes Peter, he becomes Simon Peter. In verse 5 he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. <laughs> the professional fisherman is talking to the carpenter and he's basically saying, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. And conventional wisdom, that would be true, wouldn't it? I mean, who's going to come up to a professional fisherman and say, I know where you should fish and I know what you should do? It's a bit like when you go to the doctor and you tell him what to do. Or you, when you get, you know, you know how people, you get a tradesman over and you pay him all of this money, but then you tell him what to do and he looks at you? And he realises he's talking to an idiot, okay? That's when he's talking to me. You, it's different, I'm sure. So Simon's basically saying, Master, we've worked hard all night. We've done all of the right things. We've fished this lake for years. This is how you do it. But look at that final verse in verse 5. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. 
That's humility. And that's realising that there is somebody here in our midst who really does have the truth. And even though you can't see it at this point, and even though you can't believe it, and even though you may think it's the stupidest thing that anybody has ever thought up, you respond with, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. Now let me ask you something. What's God been prompting you to do lately? What's he been prompting you to do? What's the thing that keeps coming back to you that when you pray and you keep saying to God, but God, I can't do that. that that's ridiculous. Everybody knows it's just ridiculous. George Bush knows it's ridiculous. What is it? Or maybe, maybe have you said, okay, I don't get it, I really don't, but because you say so, I'll go and do it, I'll let down my net. Now what's going to follow this is either the most stupid thing in the Bible, we could have a different few verses where all of a sudden the boat goes out, they let down their nets and then they all turn to Jesus and say, we've caught nothing, you're an idiot. And it's over. That's one alternative. But you know it's not the alternative because we've read it before and you know it. So when they had done the opposite to the conventional wisdom, when they had gone against every grain of their being, when they had done so, we're told in verses 6 and 7, that is, let down their nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now you're probably thinking, well, who wants to go fishing like that? You'll end up drowning. But when Jesus opens his mouth, when God speaks, when the Holy Spirit directs us to do things, there will be outcomes. But why I love these verses so much is they get me to say something to you which is so important because the conclusion could be that when you do what Jesus, the Holy Spirit, wants you to do, everything goes swimmingly. No pun intended. Um, the reality is often doing the things that what God wants you to do seem to get you into more mess and trouble and all sorts of crazy things, Right? But the thing that's meant to stand out are these things. That when Jesus says you should go and do something, when the Holy Spirit directs you, there will be an outcome, God's outcome. That is certain. And I think what we're meant to understand from this is that these guys, and we don't know, you know, basically how their business had been going. They certainly didn't do any business the night before. We know that. But they're on easy street for a couple of weeks, it would seem, okay? They've got such a big catch. They have basically caught every fish in the Sea of Galilee. The Environmental Protection Agency will be down upon them any moment for cleaning out the lake, it looks like. But the reality is this. When we do what God asks us to do, it will happen, and sometimes it happens in 
extraordinary ways. And so many times, you know, when I've shared, one of the things I've said to you that, that we look at ourselves and we limit ourselves because we go, it's just me. It's just me. How, how can I do anything that's extraordinary or amazing because I'm just me and you're just you? But that's what's meant to be highlighted here. It's never just me or you. It's what God will do through me and you. And he'll break nets and he'll turn conventional wisdom upside down. But somewhere along the line, for that to happen, somebody actually has to say, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And if Peter had said no find some other idiot to go fishing with you, then this wouldn't have happened. And so it's when God works with us and we humble ourselves before God and we say yes, that these things actually happen. But then all of a sudden something happens after that. And this is pretty common and some of you really know what I'm talking about. Some of you will experience this if you keep coming back here and you keep following Jesus. You're going to come to this awkward place in your life where it's going to become clear that, that Jesus isn't just another bloke. He is truly a bloke, a person, but he is truly the Son of God. And so often that will only become evident when you see these sort of outcomes. And look at what happens to Peter in verses 8 to 10. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James, John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. There's, there's a point in life we get to when we realize that all of the conventional wisdom is actually stupidity. And the truth of the Bible is true. And that all of a sudden we have a holy God knocking at the door and wanting to do business with us. He wants to do the ultimate transaction, which is to say, I will give my life for you. Happened in the past, but I will credit that to your account if you will now come and trust me. And the only response we can say is, I'm not worthy of you. I'm sinful. I haven't followed you, God. I mean, it comes to you in a shot. All of our lives, we think people talking about sin is ridiculous. We, we, we get on our high horses and think, well, I'm fine. But all of a sudden, we meet a holy God and we realize we are not and we so much need him. And yet there is such a sense to want to push him away because of our sense of unworthiness. And he doesn't say, yeah, we'll get lost because you are unworthy. He looks at, like, at a bloke like me or somebody like you. He says, yeah, you're unworthy, but I sorted it out on the cross. It's okay. And look at what he says too, which I just love so much. This is not a one-off event where nothing follows. I mean, you're going to find this really hard to believe, but in 1979, I met Muhammad Ali. Yeah. I was at a HSC thing at the Sydney Opera House 
and me and a mate, we bunked off. Yeah, I shouldn't admit that, should I? Children do go to school and study hard. Um, and so we left the opera house and we went out there and sitting on a huge black limousine is this huge black man with arms the size of my legs. And we can't believe it. He's there in Sydney to do a boxing exhibition match. So I run up with my mate to get an autograph. And you know this man who never stops talking, this great mouth from the south? He didn't say one word. I felt totally ripped off. I got his autograph and I left. He's talked to everybody in the world except me. <laughs> How about that? It says a lot about me, doesn't it? Um, but Jesus is not just a one-off encounter, is he? Jesus just doesn't want to go and do a party trick and say, how was that fishing? Bye. We're told in the last part of, part of verse 10 that Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. That's his response. Don't be afraid about where you've come from. Don't be afraid of what you've done. Don't be afraid of me. I'm going to run your life now. You're going to actually work for me. But you're not going to fish for fishes anymore. You're going to fish for people. You're going to tell people about me and they're going to come and find freedom in me as well. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus pursues us in order to forgive us for turning our backs on him? And not only does he just forgive us, then he draws us close and brings us into the family. But at some point, at some point, each of us needs to say, despite the conventional wisdom, despite maybe doubts and all sorts of things, we need to say, but because you, Jesus, say so, you, God, say so, I will now come to you. I will let down my nets. I will do whatever you ask. And then lives get changed. I'm going to pray a prayer now. And maybe you're here today. You don't even know why you're here. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? You don't know why you're here, but you're here. And you're not really sure about Jesus, or maybe you are a bit more now. But I'm going to pray a prayer where you can respond to his question to you to let down your net, to allow him into your life and for you to trust him. So you want to join me? And, and if you do pray those words, and I'm going to say, I'm just going to say them a bit by a bit, I want to pray you come up and speak to me or one of the other leaders during the morning because we want to show you how to do that fishing. We want to show you how to handle those nets and those boats and all of those other metaphoric things that really talk about where you go from here in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to humble myself before you. Just say something like that. Lord Jesus, I want to humble myself before you. I don't understand everything. Just say that, I don't understand everything. 
but I do believe you died for my sins. I do believe you died for my sins. Lord Jesus, I want to live for you now. Lord Jesus, I want to live for you now. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to follow you all of the days of my life. I thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you did pray that prayer, I'm going to be up the front. There'll be some others up the front. Come and see us. We want to encourage you.